Welcome to the Scale-Ups Podcast, where each week you get to hear Sean Steele, professional CEO, growth mentor, and advisory board chair, unpack the strategies that successful founders have used to achieve scale in their businesses. Stay tuned as he interviews the entrepreneurs who've made it, learns from industry experts, and follows a group of founders still striving to scale. G'day, everybody, and welcome to the Scale-Ups podcast, where we help first-time founders learn the secrets of scaling so they can fulfill the potential of their business, make bigger decisions with greater confidence, and, of course, maximize the value they can create in the world. I am your host, Sean Steele, and I'm joined today uh, by Ephraim Stevenson, serial entrepreneur and founder and seller uh, of several recruitment businesses in the last decade, uh, Ephraim, including most recently uh, Kona & Co., but, you know, before that, Design & Construct Australia. Uh, Design and Construct UK. I know there was a rebranding to Building Careers Australia, 420 Consulting, uh, in Ingenie, Ingenie, yeah, Ingenie Resources, Ingenie Resources, uh, Preston James and Insurec, uh, and now another recruitment uh, startup called Collar Group. Is that right? That's correct, mate. Thanks, Sean. Crikey, I um, you have problems sitting still, don't you? I do, absolutely. Yeah, grand old age of forty four and uh, twelve recruitment businesses under my. Under my belt, mate. Um, I've been telling my wife though, this is it. This is the this is the, this is the final business now in regards to recruitment. I've kind of learned the craft along the way and uh, worked in multiple businesses across different revenue streams, and uh, now feel as if I'm armed with all the tools that um, I need to to grow even even a bigger brand. So yeah, no, all excited at the moment, mate. Well, I just I just have this sneaking suspicion that you said this before that this is the last one. It kind of sounds like. Yeah, yeah, last one, sure. Uh huh. Yeah, I'm with you. Yeah, no. Um, yeah, look, it's a it's an ongoing conversation. Um, my my last time around when I I sold out a few of the businesses, I was um I was five weeks into a year long sabbatical, and um I was laid on a beach in actually my father my father in law's place over in Hawaii, and we're on the Big Island, and it just so happened we're in Kona. Um, so as I say, five weeks in board, um, uh, you can finish finish the rest. And um, yeah. Kona and Co was founded. So yeah, look, it doesn't keep me uh, keep me uh, long to keep. Um, yeah, I guess getting bored and itchy feet. And um, anyway, obviously we've spoken quite a few times, mate. You know, it's um, you know the nature of the industry. Um, there's huge opportunity out there, and wherever there's opportunity, then there's you know a real need for I guess business and entrepreneurs to to really step up and and yeah. capitalize on the current market. When you see problems, that's the nature of the entrepreneur, right? See a problem, yeah. need to fix it, have this strong desire and urgent itch that needs to be something needs to be done about it. Look to give people a sense of your journey. This has happened over seventeen years. You've done through your teams um, over ten thousand permanent placements and twenty five thousand temporary placements. And you know something that really strikes me about that is that recruitment's not always thought of as a you know uh, a sector out there doing good. But I think those numbers are remarkable because. And you're helping people to get into jobs that are more fulfilling. Um, that can be, abs- I mean, we've probably all been through them. Um, they can be absolutely life-changing. And that doesn't mean that it has to be a charity, but it can be meaningful uh, in the process. And I think those, uh, those numbers are, are really remarkable, mate. C- can you take me back um, and kick us off with what led you to recruitment in the first place? Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, so as you can tell, I'm originally from the UK, um, although I have lived in Australia now longer than I've lived in the UK. So um, putting it all into context, I was born born in the UK, um, lived in Jordan 
Um, and we were there for about four years. My dad was in construction. My grandfather was in construction. Um, so generations after generations. So I always had this passion for construction. Um, moved back to the UK, then moved to South Africa. Um, there for about four years and then to Harare, Zimbabwe uh, for about 18 months. Back to the UK. And then um, at the grand old age of 24, decided that you know, Australia was calling and I was going to come across as a... As a, basically as a backpacker on a working holiday visa. Um, so myself and my best mate at the time, we, we pretty much sold all our worldly possessions, which at the time wasn't a great deal. So I think I landed in the country with about $500 to my name. Never worked in recruitment. And, um, you know, I was desperate to, to obviously to get a job that was going to enable me really to stay in the country and obviously from a sponsorship point of view. So as soon as I landed in Sydney, it was my first port of call. Um, you know, the intention was, was traveling around Australia and doing the backpacker thing. And six weeks in, mate, I was, I was stuck. I was trapped. You know, Sydney had me um, you know, yeah, it, it was just such a beautiful city. I mean, come from the northwest of England, um, which you know, had you know, obviously had its uh, its problems with regards to careers, and obviously, you know, you, you would really have to travel probably you know an hour, two hours every day. Um, which in the UK is a big thing. I know over here, it's uh, it's not not necessarily I guess frowned upon. But um, I got my first job in recruitment as a telemarketer, and I was paid thirteen dollars fifty an hour. And my job, Sean, was to read through the Sydney Morning Herald on a Friday, even though it wasn't sold to the public till Saturday. It was released into into news agencies. And I would call around and actually uh, set appointments for the recruitment agency that I joined at the time. There was five staff. And I, I did that for two weeks. And I was setting the appointments. And the consultants were then going out and trying to pitch for the work. And then they were coming back and um, saying, unfortunately, the leads aren't warm enough. And they haven't been qualified. So for me, as a, you know, my background is predominantly sales. I work for EXA Insurance in the UK, work for newspaper sales, work for the largest uh, holiday uh, holiday home um, provider in the UK. So all sales, all account management. Um, and I beg to differ, you know, basically <laughs> I, I questioned that they, uh, I thought they were quality leads. And um, as I said to the owners of the business, two directors at the time, Phil and Bora, oh, guys, let me have a go. Let me have a go. Do recruitment. You know, you've got nothing to lose. And um, they then kind of flipped it back around on me and said, well, yeah, fair enough. We actually haven't got anything to lose. So um, why don't we put you on commission only? And, you know, at the time, backpacker 30, 50 an hour was just scraping by. And um, so, look, I, I backed myself and I said, yeah, let me let me have a crack at it. And, you know, from fortunately for me, for the first month, I was the top builder of the business um, and I was the top builder for the next 24 months. And, you know, it was very much a, there's a phone, there's a desk, mm -hmm. kind of get on with it. Um, you know, no disrespect to the guys, they built a phenomenal brand. And it's actually one of the largest recruitment agencies now over um, over in China. It's a company called Atomic. Um, they've closed down here in Australia, but going absolutely gangbusters over in China. I think they've got something like three, 400 staff, uh, all recruiters now working for them. So that kind of gives you an idea. But at the time when I joined, there was five of us. Um, we grew my team to a team of five, um, you know, and there's like most businesses going through a scale or basically, you know, obviously, um, scaling up, they, they probably just grew mm -hmm. too quickly, too soon, Sean. And, um, being on commission only, uh, what was happening was unfortunately my commissions were coming in and, um, you know, obviously I was expecting quite a large paychecks and that wasn't happening. So, um, I decided to set up my first agency you now to just, just shy two and a half years worth, worth of recruitment experience. I set up my first business, which was Design and Construct, set that up from a home office. Um, mm -hmm. At the time, I was living in 
And did you start with that because of the upbringing that you had yeah, with your um, from the building game? Yeah, just look, kind of I, understood I think, it, or what, what? Or was that just a market opportunity? I think also passion. Right? The passion was there. You know, a lot of my friends in the UK mm-hmm. are all tradies. You know, carpenters, joiners, electricians, mm-hmm. whatever. It's um, yeah, so it's always kind of the talk of com- topic of conversation whenever you're speaking to people. And for me to actually find that kind of passion for property construction. Um, and also that kind of combined hand in hand with sales and that account management. And like you, you know, you correctly said, mate, the, 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 the only reason, the whole reason why I'm in recruitment is it's such a rewarding career. Um, you know, you, I've got people still reaching out to me now, you know, 17 years later, it might have placed, you know, 17 years ago, I might have recruited for them 17 years ago. Perfect example is a company called EXO Works. Um, and I believe you obviously, you know, those guys quite well, Sean, EXO, um, Emily, Sydney Smith is the CEO, um, I recruited for 15 years ago and we haven't spoken in 15 years. And, um, when I launched Kona and Co during COVID, she was one of our first clients and literally reached out to me, Hey, I we haven't spoken 15 years. You did a great job for us. Uh, all that time ago, um, I'm now the CEO of EXO Works, and we're keen to use a, a you know a reputable recruitment partner, and you know successfully, it was a very successful partnership, and so I think it, it goes mm. to show that you know, like you were saying, you, it is a very rewarding industry. If you treat everyone as you expect to be treated, then you know you, you will go yeah. a long way in this industry. Absolutely, um, the, there is an old saying, and I've said this in a few. Um, you know, a few interviews previously is you are only as good as your last placement right? and, it, and it's so true because if you keep that benchmark you know of an exceptionally high level um, then you're always doing the right thing then ultimately that's what recruitment's all about it's about you know making them finding the individual obviously placing them into a home with a company that you know doesn't have a revolving door um, and I think that's testament for how I've always set up in business you know we're one of the only recruitment network I can't say that because I've said that in every single one of my agencies but we offer a 12-month replacement guarantee yeah. the reason why we do that is you know it's twofold from the client's perspective it shows our clients you know that the candidates that we're representing um are looking for stability looking for security um you know not fly by nights not just looking to come in and obviously you know potentially you know, try, dip the toe in the water for, for three or six months so that's our reputation that's our livelihood that we're, we're backing uh, backing ourselves to the clients from a candidate perspective though it also works in exactly the same way you know that we're not being paid to recruit for a company that has a revolving door um you know that mm-hmm. has really staff really bad staff retention um and I, I think that works really well in this current environment where you've got candidates and clients alike both really um you know appreciating the service but also the aftercare that you provide and again like you said recruitment's not difficult it's about doing the right thing um you know and again making sure that you're looking after everyone it's a very um it's a very similar industry when you think about that to real estate yes. in that, uh, you know, it's a very personal relationship. You're dealing with both the vendor and the potential buyers of the properties. Yes. And those people that stay in and get their 10,000 hours to happen and stay in contact with people and have always done it, you know, with, with great uh, respect and, and, um, and faith and diligence in the process, mm. they're the ones that, you know, 10, 15 years later have got just people coming to them constantly all yeah. the time because they were always treating, they just, they stayed in the game and they were always doing a great job. And as a result, you, you have this kind of, uh, this sort of pool that builds yeah. um, of goodwill uh, as well as good outcomes. Yeah. And, and, and that's, you know, you, it's, it's so correct. And so, so true. Like it's, you always treat people 
people. And again, it's just coming back to exactly what I was saying. You always treat people as you would expect to be treated. And within the, the world of recruitment, it's, it is so, you know, it, it's so inherent with cowboys. Like they're, they're just dodgy recruitment mm. agencies wherever you look, similar to real yeah. estate, similar absolutely. to any, any other barrier, industry. Anything where there's a low barrier to entry. Yeah, ab- absolutely. You know, and I think um, because of that, you know, it's, it's it's all based on your reputation. It's your relationship that you have with your candidates, with your clients, with your um, external suppliers, you know, with your internal employees. Um, you know, I'm, I'm fortunate. I've got over 100 recommendations on my LinkedIn uh, profile, which is probably 80% of those are people I've, a, I've been in business with um, or basically have previously worked for me. And I think that speaks testament of the type of culture that we create within our businesses and uh, I guess ultimately the opportunities that we, you know, we allow people to take. You clearly, um, you've clearly grown a lot of different brands. Um, can you give us just a sense, uh, you know, for the audience's benefit, can you give them a sense of perhaps one of the journeys from a numbers perspective? So whether that's, you know, candidates placed or revenue or FTE or however you'd like to sort of yeah. tell the story, just to give yeah, a I mean, sense I- of the kind of scale of what, what, what kind of recruitment business look like when it's going well? Absolutely. So I guess, you know, design and construct is always going to be my, my baby. It was my first business. And, you know, we grew that very successfully. Um, you know, so one man band, I was living in Piermont at the time in the city when I launched. And uh, so that's in Sydney and um, anyone who knows that area quite well, there's a lot of distraction. You know, there's been a, a 24 year old that's it's probably not the best place to launch a business. So I decided to move to a place called Waitara, which is an hour north of Sydney. Um, I'm not going to say in the middle of nowhere, but, you know, not far from being in the middle of nowhere for exactly that reason. I was there for the first 12 months of setting up the home business and I doubled my revenue year in, year in for the first four years. Um, took it to a team of six and then GFC came about. So 2008, 2009, or just um, 12 months prior to purchase my first property, um, was engaged to get married. Um, I'd just taken on, basically doubled my size of my, my team, new office lease and... Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then the GFC obviously turned up and it was really tough. Like, I'm not going to lie. I mean, COVID has been challenging, but the, I think the GFC um, was, it was kind of overnight. Was it tougher? Um, it, GFC versus yeah, it, it was tough. It was tougher in a sense that I, I didn't have the experience. Right. I think now being more resilient, being more experienced, mm. um, as certainly you know, it presents its challenges. There's no, no issue, but, but um, I think at the time it was kind of a, um, you know, you're potentially going to lose everything here, yeah. like a lot of other business owners. So, battened down the hatches, went from six down to three, and really rode that out for about three years. Um, very comfortable, you know, decent business, you know, four four employees, um, very low overheads. Um, so, four including myself, very low overheads, and making some decent decent revenue. What was happening though was a lot of the larger companies were actually knocking on our door and asking us because of our reputation to actually recruit for them as well. Um, so made a conscious decision to, to really ramp things up in the space of, I guess, four and a half, say five years, we took it from a $700,000 business um, to doing 13, about $14 million turnover. Mm-hmm. Um, now that had gone from one small office in North Sydney to open up in Sydney, so obviously we got a larger office in Sydney. We then went to Brisbane. From Brisbane, we went to Melbourne. From Melbourne, we went to London. And then from London, we went to Perth. We <laughs> probably should have done it the other way around. But um, look, it, it was exciting. It was fun. 
The brand was, you know, it was a, an award-winning brand. Um, we won the best training in the whole of Australia, so Recruitment International Award 2017. Um, took that prestigious award home, which, you know, you, you and I have spoken about mm-hmm. LMSs before, learning management systems and training mm-hmm. and development. Critical. Um, and that's and still so one of critical in a moments. business that's fundamentally where yeah, you know, your training and your investment in you and your personal development in you actually turns up the next day in the next phone call. It's immediate feedback. It's yeah. immediate results. I, I love that about uh, any game that's fundamentally built on influencing and, and communication. Look, absolutely, you know, and it's um, I guess just bringing through you know tomorrow's managers today, um, and also bringing in more experienced people, um, you know, who sometimes may come in with a little bit more of the tunnel vision, or um, you know, they've kind of been taught to do it a certain way. It might not necessarily fit well within your ethics or your business or whatever the case may be. So training absolutely is fundamental. Um, three years in a, in a row, we won um, LinkedIn Most Social Engaged Businesses, which for the size of our business was, again, was a huge achievement. Um, you know, but then I talk about, so that's basically over a five-year period. Um, and then 2017, 18, started looking at VC. Um, so then we took it from a say $14 million business to a $60 million business in literally wow. 18 months. Um, and there wasn't a great deal that changed. You know, we, we sold, so we, I sold the UK entity. Um, we invested heavily into new technology over here in Australia. Um, I actually hired one, an individual who was at the time a global record uh, builder for a company called Hayes, um, and they built over three million gross profit in their last financial year at Hayes. So, for me to then obviously partner with, uh, you know, obviously an investor who assisted me going out to market, hiring the best people in the marketplace, we then actually created three of the businesses within the Building Careers. We rebranded to Building Careers Australia. We had basically an entity running out of um, obviously out of New South Wales, obviously the WA business as well. Um, and then from there, as, as I say, I mean within eighteen months of a business, brand new business over here in Perth, um, generated over fifty million in its first eighteen months. I think it's wow. So how, it, how it's very did impressive. you? I mean that. Let's just break that down a bit because that is just a staggering uh, in a services business like recruitment. Mm. Staggering amount um, to do. How did you? Yeah. Think about, I mean, how, how many people did you take on all of a sudden? Like, did, actually, just to scale up on a people yeah, perspective, like that's the whole engine in and of itself. How did, how did you can, do that? Well, I guess in recruitment, it's all about rainmaking. Um, you know, there's contractually, obviously, companies will always try and put restrictions of trade and restraints in place. But with recruitment, the clients are loyal to the consultant. The candidates are loyal to the consultant. They're not necessarily loyal to the brand. Um, and because of that, ultimately, you know, if you're going out and identifying rainmakers, whether they're doing one million in gross profit or whether they're doing three million in gross profit, in essence, you, you've got to have a, a three to six month caveat there where the restrictions are obviously going to take place. But literally coming out the other side of that, it's it, pretty much expected to have another $3 million business or another million dollar wow. business at the end of that. So for us, it was more about we found the individual that we wanted to build business around um and look we're not talking huge numbers in regards to number of employees um mm-hmm. let's just say it grew to a team of 20 within the 18 months and you would have your rainmaker you would then have your account managers managing those obviously accounts and then underneath them you would have the team of resources um and compliance administration return to work um etc so for us it was in essence, going out and buying a business, but buying paper, we weren't actually buying physically talent. buying anything. We were literally mm-hmm. setting somebody up in business on their own um, who was incapable of generating those types of fees. Um, and, you know, that I guess mm-hmm. that's the, the wonderful world of recruitment. 
Now, mm-hmm. bear in mind that is all revenue-based. Obviously, from a, from a temporary point of view, obviously when we do temp, obviously the company pays for yeah. the, the candidate's obviously wage before we even get paid. Some of the larger accounts that we have, you know, they might be 40 days, 45 days end of month, um, whatever the case may be. So you do obviously need that capital to carry those salaries for a period of mm-hmm. time. Um, but yeah, look, it's, on average, it was about 12% profit. Mm-hmm. Um, so a very, a very successful and very profitable business. Mm-hmm. Um, that really, How, sorry, can know, I just stop what, you there about just yeah, in relation to the working capital side? How do you end up, did you have to take on external funding to manage that or is it essentially balanced between your, is it using cash that you're receiving from a perm, uh, perm placement yeah. basis that comes in a lot faster and using that yeah. to actually cash flow the contractors whilst you're waiting to be paid on those? Yeah. Yeah, great question. So depending on the size of the business, depending on the clients and the nature of the industry is going to determine really, you know, whether you're using your own cash or whether you're using somebody else's cash to, to really, um, I guess, scale. So uh, twofold, there's a number of factoring businesses out there that purely specialize in mm-hmm. recruitment, that which will help you carry the cost of the wages. And, you know, they may release 80% of the invoice value. Um, once obviously payments made, then obviously they'll release the other 20% minus their administration yeah. costs. Um, the the whole idea why I actually decided to partner with a basically with a VC was because they had pockets deeper than Oprah, um, or, or so so I was told. And from there, basically, that's ultimately how you're able to, I guess, scale a lot mm. quicker um, without really having the headaches. Having said that, though, we've just scaled another business. Um, so the same business partner that I actually I hired from being a global superstar, um, set her up in business. I've recently just exited a business um, and stepped basically stepped out. So within 12 months, we've gener- generated a $10 million business. Um, and that's basically all assisted with that, I guess, from a factoring point of view. So there's, there's options, there's, there's ways of ultimately growing and scaling. It just really depends on the circumstances, depends on the mm. clientele, and but also ultimately depends on the people that you actually have working okay. in the business. Given that, and given the number of businesses that you have, um, that, you've, mm. that you've scaled or that you've built and sold, how did you think about differentiation? Did you think about, you know, in terms of being able to differentiate that business from its competitors in the market? And to your point, it's a crowded place. There's plenty of cowboys. The cream always rise to the top, right? But yeah. did you think about yeah. differentiation uh, on a sort of sector and specific recruitment companies in that sector, or did you have a sort of unique approach that you applied to every business and that fundamentally created, you know, differentiated every, every time you replicated it? How did you think about that? Yeah. So the first business was design and construct. So exactly what it says on the tin, you know, we were designed, we were construction, we were everything kind of within the built environment. Now that obviously came with its restrictions once we started looking at catering hospitality mining oil and gas you could get away with it to some extent but obviously clients are going to ask specific questions your brand integrity is really going to be diluted so that's why i've had multiple businesses and um, you know the the industry really took a made a shift about 10 years ago where it was quite common for an agency to be more of a generic ag- agency so Hayes, for example you know um Hayes are Hayes, uh, but whereas now they're probably known for you know Hayes property and construction mm-hmm. Hayes accounting and finance so they've become gone from being a generic agency to areas of specialization within those businesses and ultimately you know it's all about the individuals you know so i'm very fortunate that all of my businesses i've been able to partner with arguably the best 
well, the best consultants that I've certainly ever come across and I'm obviously going to be biased. So, you know, I look at the Preston James business. That was a recruitment to recruitment business. Irony or no, you're in a recruitment agency, but you have to go to an external recruitment agency to find your recruitment consultants. Um, so Preston James, you know, was arguably one of the most successful businesses I've actually had and been a part of, um, where I hired it, basically went into business, hired an individual to run that business for me. Um, basically went in as a co-part, basically as co-founders. We then hired somebody of equally impressive pedigree um, and experience over in Perth. Um, and between the two of those, they were again, arguably Australia's best recruitment to recruitment business. Um, so without those personalities in the business, the business would have really struggled to get off the ground. And it's more about those those two individuals. The same with 420, the two guys over at 420, um, Dan and Lee, again, arguably the best that I've ever come across within their space. Um, so for me, it was a no-brainer to partner with them and actually go out into business and launch a new brand. Um, we then go back basically onto, the, I guess, obviously onto the other businesses, the Kona & Co. Um, I explained to you obviously how Kona & Co. was started kind of bored on, on, on a beach, but the Kona & Co., again, you know, is it's probably been one of the most enjoyable rides given that it was very short. It was only a year and a half. It was during COVID. Um, I grew that basically from my home office to a operation in so we had Melbourne, we had Sydney going at one point during the COVID, um, we had Brisbane, and obviously we've also uh, got Perth, or now they've also got Perth. So set that up very much as a partnership model. So myself as the founder, uh, basically 100% shareholding, I then basically went out to market and identified individuals that I wanted to basically partner with, and I wanted to provide them with an opportunity of going out into business themselves. So um, from there, basically, you know, John Wilkinson, um, James Toffling came to basically onto the scene, in which he's, he's now doing insurance. And James and the rest of the management team just did a management buyout, uh, basically from myself of Kona. We've then got Priscilla, who's doing the accounting. Um, and then also um, a, a lady over here in Perth called Ellis, who's also doing insurance. So between the four of those, I don't think there's probably any better recruiters within those fields um, mm. in the industry, never mind to go into business with. So again, it's kind of that mm. kind of talent magnet where um, maybe it's my personality, personality, I don't know, but I always seem to attract these types of individuals um, that are keen to do something. And for me, it's, uh, that's where my passion is, you know, startups, scaling. Um, the exit strategy isn't always at the forefront of my mind. It's more so about the, I guess, about the individual. So i.e. tailored resources um, that I've recently just uh, stepped out of is exactly that. You know, Leslie, arguably the best recruiter that I've ever come across. Um, global world record holder, you know, growing the business to a $10 million business mm. in the first 11 months, right, which is, is extraordinary. Um, exactly. You know, as I mentioned to you previously, my personal circumstances have changed. Now I found out I'm going to be a, a dad. Um, so the wife's <laughs> constantly on at me, all these startups, 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 you know, when, when's it going to stop? So now, you know, the color group is really my legacy business. And ultimately I'll be using everything that I've learned across all of the other 11 recruitment businesses, which have all been specialist. Color Group is still going to be mm. a specialist agency, but very much from a, a, gen a generic point of view. So the brand is the Color Group um, and all the industries that we recruit for will all really be headed up by an, an industry specialist, correct? Got it. You know, what's really interesting about that is I think it's really instructive for many business leaders mm. in that uh, I mean, it may seem to people more obvious that, when you're looking to build a business that you go and look for a superstar. Yeah. 
But the number of times that I see founders um, who really need a role to take them to the next level, who rather than actually proactively find out who is the best, go and have coffees, go and have meetings, see if they can attract the right person, put an, put an ad out, go through a normal processing, get whatever happens to be sort of looking out yeah. there, rather than going, who is the best in this field? Like who's the person who's already been there yeah. who may have some interest in taking us on that journey so they can actually be they can be ones who, who guide and lift us to the next level rather than, um, you know, maybe take a, a first time rounder who happens to be available at the time. What do you think about that? Yeah, look, it's, again, it, I guess it, it is industry specific, but I'm very much, the, I guess, the latter day in a sense that I know who the, the, the main players are within the recruitment industry. Um, and it's that planted of seed, right? You know, you might have an individual who's billing X, Y, Z, you know, but their take home or their, their total um, I guess reward for for their revenue is probably around about thirty, let's say forty percent. So if they're billing a million, they're taking home four hundred thousand, hypothetically speaking. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, as a business owner, you can certainly sharpen your pencil and probably get that closer to half a million in their pocket, or maybe even a little bit more, depending on the circumstances, depending on the 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 share structure, the equity offering, whatever the case may be. I mean, that's how you actually stack the deal, right? It's um, so I think you know, for me personally, it's you've got to have those conversations. You've got to be constantly mm. striving to attract the best possible talent into your business. Um, yeah. And if you feel that you you can't or you're, you're reluctant to approach it, then you know you, you've got to be prepared for a, obviously a, a long road ahead. You know, whether it's cutting corners. I think it's just smart business. Um, yeah. And I think ultimately it's about surrounding yourself. We all hear it all the time, right? Surrounding yourself with people who are better than you. Um, but this I- is why, this is particularly why I'm actually digging down on it is because mm. it's very easy to, uh, I mean, you hear it even in every interview with every successful founder. It's about the team you bring around you. Yada, yeah. yada, yada. And we all kind of go, yeah, yeah, no, I got it. I got it. Yeah. 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 Great team. Got to have a great team. Yep. Good. But actually, it's very easy for people to revert to type and go, you know, maybe my business isn't that all, all that interesting or it's not all that attractive and yeah. maybe I don't deserve that person. But sometimes I actually think they're not putting in any, any effort to actually go and find out who the best people are. And they're not spending, you know, a percentage of their time in talent pooling, which mm-hmm. I've always thought is an incredibly important job of a founder to be constantly talent pooling, looking for yeah. who, are, who are the best players, who's already been there, who's really probably, who's all, who's kicking our ass at the moment and yeah. is there somebody in there that I could attract to us because of the benefits that I can offer that actually would yeah. really help us um, accelerate on our journey and, and proactively go and find them. Let me oh, – um, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, no, I was – Absolutely. I mean, one of the, the saving graces throughout the whole COVID situation, I was in Melbourne at the time, um, experiencing the five-month lockdown there, was exactly that. You know, the, the talent mapping part of recruitment actually became an extension of our business from a revenue stream during COVID. You know, appreciate you might not be hiring right now. Things are obviously going to pick up. You know, COVID's going to obviously, you know, disappear. Where do you want to position yourself? Where do you want to be within the next 12, 18 months? What we can do is actually provide you with a full industry competitor analysis, a talent map, obviously identifying some of these key areas. And that in itself, which is normally a, an extension or a piece of an exec search piece or a search and selection piece, actually became just part and parcel of the recruitment process. Again, it's that, about that value add, about that USP. Um, and you know, you, you're right, people are going to sit there and question just how good their business is. You know, they're always looking at their competitors to see how they're stacking up against their competition. One thing I've always been a, a big big believer in is pioneering. Mm-hmm. You know, is coming to the industry with new technology. I, 
I always talk about tech stack. I want the best tech stack in the market. You know, that's not just to sound like a, it's just for the sake of saying it. It's I, I actually, you know, I'm, I'm personally, I'm dyslexic. Um, you know, I, without Microsoft Word, I wouldn't be able to recruit. That's period. Um, so for me, it's all about how can I help the process? How can I, you know, automate the process as much as possible? And I think once you actually do a thorough review of that, of your business, you'll come up with so many different USPs or value adds that your competition just won't, just won't mm. be doing. But you've got to take that to market. You know, um, it, I'm relentless on LinkedIn. I've got no shame when it comes to LinkedIn. For me, LinkedIn is a great money-making um, you know, platform. It's all about brand. You know, people might say, oh, Ephraim's posting something else again. And, you know, the, the reality of it is, is most of the brand that I've done behind the 11 businesses, and obviously now the 12, has all been done by myself. Um, and then obviously once I've kind of got a little bit of a, a, bit of a run going, then obviously hire somebody to kind of take it over. But for me, that's, that's the most important part of me growing a business is, having the industry know what you're good at and what you're known for. So again, those value adds are yeah. USPs. Yeah, love it. Let me ask you, uh, Ephraim, you have no doubt had um, advice from all sorts of places and, uh, you know, that might be from, you know, virtual mentors or peers or, and so on. But sometimes when you're going particularly through um, difficult times, some of that advice tends to bubble to oh. the surface, you know, the stuff that's really stuck with you. Um, what, are, what are one or two of those pieces of advice that have actually managed to help you get through things like the GFC or COVID and actually, you know, come out the other side, you know, swinging and even stronger? Yeah, Great question. Um, I have been very fortunate to, to, I guess, not surround myself with peers, but obviously it's cost me money. I've, pay, I've paid for the services along the way, but absolutely, you know, non-executive directors, board advisors, uh, you know, business coaches. I've just reconnected with one of my very first business coaches, a guy called Casey Gollan. Um, absolute machine. Anyone who's looking for a business coach between, you know, that probably two to 10 mil mark is, um, he's worked wonders. He did a lot of work with the guys um, over at mm -hmm. – that'll come to me. Uh, but, yeah, he, he's a great guy. I've done a lot of work with a guy called Mike Wormsley, non-executive director. Um, sorry, Big Commerce was the company um, that Casey did a lot of work with, helped those guys launch that. Um, mm -hmm. Greg Savage, now basically I've done one-on-one -on -one with Greg Savage, again, arguably the, the godfather of recruitment, um, and then a number of other peers as well. So I think when the chips are down or when the confidence is down, it's always kind of going back to the drawing board and going back to basics. Um, and I don't think you can you can go too wrong by doing that. You know, Again, recruitment is not difficult. A lot of people do make it a lot harder than what it needs to be and they overcomplicate things. But I think it's just going back to that, again, do the right thing, you know. Um, your reputation is key. And it's such an in such an incestuous industry that all it takes is, you know, that one remark, that one comment, that one placement, um, you know, and potentially your whole career is in, in, mm -hmm. in tatters. So. During this journey, you will have made some mistakes, no doubt. I, I can't imagine that it was a straight line, yep. that everything was roses uh, all the way up. I don't, I don't know, I think I've ever met an entrepreneur yep. where that's been the case. What's been one of your biggest mistakes and what have you learned from that? Um, probably my biggest mistake was with the Catering Co Group. Um, you know, during lockdown, trying to scale a business at the rate that I was trying to scale scale the business. Um, 
it just wasn't sustainable. Like it, it without the individuals involved, um, yeah, the business has got a f- phenomenal foundation. Um, but for me personally, I was just trying to grow the business so quickly. Um, and then obviously the COVID kind of came around. So for me, it's again, it's all about ethics. It's about doing the right thing. You know, I had a, a guy working with with me um, at Kona, um, and also a resourcer. So Claire was my first my first hire. Then Andy basically came on board. And again, I just wish I could have spent more time with those two individuals specifically to actually have done the right thing in regards to training, development, mentoring. And for me, I'm a big believer in leaving a legacy. You know, I don't know of any other recruitment entrepreneur who's founded, scaled and exited as many businesses that I have that are all still operating. You know, like there's no distress sales. There's no, it was literally all strategic. It was all done. Don't get me wrong. There was certain businesses that are sold because of certain, um, I guess, outside influences or my personal circumstances at, at, at the situation, obviously, at that time. But ultimately, again, it's all about doing the right thing by, by your employees because you're only as good as your, your team. And again, a cliche, I know, but it's so true when it comes to recruitment because ultimately they are the they are your ambassadors. They're the face of the business, the eyes and ears of the business. Um, and that would certainly be one of, one of the, I guess, not necessarily regrets, but certainly mm-hmm. where I think I could have done better as a, you know, as an owner, as a manager. Um, but then, you know, you look at all the circumstances obviously surrounding that. You look at COVID. Again, I was based in Melbourne. We physically couldn't get out of that get out of our houses we're in five five kilometer radius so i, I can come up with a, a number of antidotes about that um you know i guess being not scaling the business quick enough again so from one extreme to another you know we design and construct I had the opportunity to scale that on multiple occasions and I, again what I, I mentioned earlier about doing um you know doing london before Perth, you know, the method in the madness there, it's like, well, it surely it would have been better to get Perth down pat. But again, things like you, you, know, you, it's been a great experience and you don't know what you don't know. It gets very lonely at the top. Um, we all know that, you know, but one shareholder, one director has predominantly been, um, you know, the, the way that I've operated all the way through and then obviously releasing equity over time. Um, but yeah, that would certainly mm-hmm. be, yeah, I guess one of the no, things. Yeah, no, no, um, I really appreciate you. Uh, I appreciate you sharing that. Um, I'm interested to know whether there's been, you know, we of course all end up, um, reading lots of books and, you know, and getting exposed to different frameworks or methodologies or philosophies that have helped us. And so, you know, given the audience of this podcast is primarily those founders, you know, first time founders haven't gone past probably 10 million. They're still, you know, they're still striving to scale. What, um, not necessarily what's a book or a tool or a framework that's inspired you, but what's one that you've actually sort of really taken and implemented and as a result of that implementation really seen a change in the you know the growth trajectory or the ability to scale your business yep um again i guess this kind of coincides with the last question it's in recruitment there's so many business owners that just don't recruit and you know i've i've been one of those i've kind of you know taken the foot off the gas and focusing working you know on the business you know, not working in the business and everyone will give you their 10, 10 cents as to which way you know is the best way to do it and i think ultimately again it's going to be industry specific but for me personally being the face of the business being on the phone you know being the one that is not shy to put up a, a post or put up a job ad you know 10 11 o'clock at night and really leading from the front 
that I think once I, I really made that shift again um, with you know quite a few of the businesses was to be more hands on, more involved, um, you know, bringing in the deals, mm. rainmaking. Because that's why we got into it. That's why I got into it in the first place, right? And I think it's so easy to lose sight of that because you get carried away. You know, you get suppliers inviting you out. You get basically, you know, um, people wanting to come and meet with you for interviews mm. that you, you wouldn't normally interview, but, you know, you feel you know, it's, it's kind of a bit of a, a catch-22 because obviously they want the, the knowledge and the experience. You obviously, you, know, you volunteer your time. and But then, again, I think it's just those distractions of growing – um, mm. just focus on just focus on doing what you do best, um, and leave everyone else to just kind of get on with all their yeah all their crap basically, mate. I mean, it's again, it's it's so easy for for one to kind of take the foot off the gas, get a little bit sidetracked with something else. Mm. Um, you know, I've had three online businesses that that are founded during that time as well. You know, basically, I've had a two detox business. I've had a uh, you know a coffee body scrub product, you know, pink Himalayan rock salt. Um, I'm now involved in a cosmetic business. You know, we stopped in over 300 salons. So for, for me, mm. it's, it's about not getting carried away. You know, I, I love business. I love entrepreneurship. Um, but at the same time, I, I feel very privileged and very honored to have had the opportunities that I've had to work with the individuals that I've had. And for me now, it's about collating all that information and all that experience, all that knowledge, you know, the wins, the losses, the good times, the bad times, um, yeah, and just making sure that we're, we're doing things right every time. I think one of the things that you said uh, that I think is incredibly helpful for people, because I have this conversation mm. regularly with with, uh, with clients of mine around, uh, you you talk, you came at that from an approach of um, you know, fundamentally strengths, yep. right? You know, like just do what yep. you're strong at don't and don't let go of it, but also don't take your eye off the ball. And there's two things that I think that are instructive about that. One is – where do you get your energy from? What are the activities that actually give you energy in the business? Because when you're the founder, you need to retain your energy. And if you're all of a sudden, you found yourself, you were doing stuff you love, the business has grown, you're now doing actually stuff that you can't stand, that you hate and it's draining Ooh. from you. You're, you're giving everybody else all of that energy. You can't not give them that energy. If you don't find a way to actually still do some of the things that really give you juice, there's going to be an issue in the business in the medium term because uh, you know you can always... Uh, you can always find other people that can do those things that you don't love. And secondly, one of the things that I think sometimes as businesses scale, it really gets lost is talking to customers. Yes. And the, if the people at the top, <clears throat> no matter the size of the business, if the leadership team is not all talking to customers on a regular basis, including the CEO, you're going you're gonna to end up putting in place a lot of strategies that you think are going to work or that you think might that the customers might want. But actually – the people who are making those decisions really need to be talking to the customers on an absolutely consistent basis. Otherwise you lose touch with the potentially the trade, yep. but also the tone and the pulse of the market and what customers want, what their pain problems are. And so I think, um, you know, you've really in your business, that's part and parcel of the conversation, but it's also you leveraging. Your absolutely. So again, just with that, with your strengths, I mean, we you know, for me, it was, like I said, I'm, I'm dyslexic. So for, for me, that kind of admin function is that, I'm good at it, but is it, you know, is my time better off spent on something else? So, um, you know, again, virtual assistants, I, I'm still mm -hmm. using two virtual assistants that have been employed with me now for going on 11 years. Um, you know, like it's, even when I don't have work for them, I'll find work for them to do, you know, but mm -hmm. for me, it's to know that I've got that kind of solid base of admin support as and when I need it, you know, it's 
So mm. for, again, automation, just automate as much as possible. Um, mm. you know, Collar Group has invested, we're literally just getting off the ground now, but we've already signed and um, obviously mentioned to yourself several multi, like, multi-million dollar contracts. And it's all based on the foundation of the, the CRM. So our CRM, we have then eight marketplace partners or eight other suppliers who will plug into the CRM, which will all make the, the process and streamline the, the candidate experience. So again, candidate-centric approach, the candidate experience, mm-hmm. their onboarding process with us is is. Well, I, I'm going to be biased, but I think he's probably one of the best in the industry. Um, the payroll function, you know, the timesheet management, again, is all basically done with a, an amazing piece of tech stack. Um, you know, the references, the, the reformatting of resumes, again, the compliance of chick- tickets or checking of tickets, licenses, Vivo checks, again, basically, you know, um, brought all that into, into literally a click of a button. So, there's no reason for us to leave our computer. I mean, as long as we've got a phone, we can speak to any candidates, we can meet them face to face, but that kind of compliance process, mm. um, I'm excited to announce, and this is a, a industry first, mate. Uh, I've literally just come off the phone um, with one of my other suppliers and one of my other uh, partners. We're actually going to be the, the first recruitment agency in Australia that's actually going to be offering um Daily pay, you know, wow. one of the things, the business that I've just been involved in, you know, one of the biggest frustrations was candidates getting paid and, you know, wait, waiting a week, sometimes two weeks to get timesheets approved and mm. through no fault of their own, you know, physically not being able to get paid on time. Um, so again, looking at things, how can we add value to the industry? How can we, you know, support our candidates without our candidates? Picking up picking up clients is it, it's easy, right? You know, as long as you're ethical and you know, and you never overpromise and underdeliver, clients will listen to what you've got to say. You've got to obviously, you know, show them the proof is in sure, the pudding yeah. and deliver on what you say you're going to. But you know, so for us, it, we're really focusing on that kind of candidate experience and how can we build up our own loyal candidate base. You know, mm. in recruitment, it's very transactional. You'll pick up a role today. You might speak to a candidate today, but a client will call back tomorrow or in a week's time with the same role. It's like, well, let's go back to all the candidates. We it, Again, it seems like it, it should be very straightforward mm. and businesses should be doing it, but they just don't in recruitment. Mm. So again, automation. Um, I've got a call this afternoon at four o'clock where we're um, – Chatbots. Chatbots aren't mm-hmm. anything new, mm-hmm. but you know, again, how can we help the candidate experience by coming on to cut the website will be launching um, in the next ten days? And again, the website has been all designed about that candidate experience. Yeah. You know, how can we make it easy for them? So, being the only basically you know recruitment agency in Australia offering daily pay, I think is that's very exciting, mate. It, it, it's very amazing. Exciting. Like, it, honestly, mate, I'm I'm really excited about it. Not just for my candidates and for employees of the business, but also for the industry as a yeah. whole. You know, like it's trying to that's, get away with that's that. A new bar. Yeah, you, absolutely, absolutely. Mate. And yes. also, um, I think something sometimes what is lost in the context of automation is. And, you know, where people can sometimes feel a bit threatened about the fact that, you know, all this automation going on. It's like, well, the whole point from my perspective of leveraging, you know, good quality automation tools, whether that's just workflow automation or it's kind of, you know, AI enabled or or whatever, the whole point is actually it should be freeing you up to be more human. It should be freeing you up to have richer, deeper, more connected experience with other people because you're not spending your time doing a whole bunch of stuff that actually is far better done by a machine uh, in but that's 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 exactly it, mate. Because when when I talk about the automation and I talk about the CRM and all the marketplace partners, there's no interaction with the candidate in, in any of that. As in, it's literally to help the candidate onboard themselves mm. as 
streamlined and as easy as possible without, you know, I don't know if you've ever applied for a job, Sean, to a recruitment agency and gone down the kind of, okay, great. So congratulations, you're starting your new position tomorrow. Here's 20 pages of documents, policies, procedures that you need to read through to sign, you know, and gone are the days, I know there are still companies that may be still using faxes or the equivalent, but, you know, that, yes, you have to give that information to candidates and obviously, you know, it's vital that they read through, through it all, but let's, let's lighten the load and let's basically make the experience that much more enjoyable. Um, interesting stat um, that out of every 100 people, that you apply basically in my experience over the last 18 months um for every 100 people that actually physically apply so you've onboarded you've sent them the required documentation they've started the process of uploading their tickets licenses um you know basically vivo checks wherever the case may be um out of those 100 you're probably only placing close to close to about 20 percent if you're lucky so mm-hmm. the other 80 candidates have had to go through all that rigmarole of you know, registering the details, working with your technology, if you have technology. So even that experience that they leave, you know, if they don't get the job for whatever reason, and not everyone is going to get the job, you know, there's potentially so much damage from a PR point of view that is being done. every touch point is a brand experience. Absolutely, mate. So again, just looking at things differently, how can we, you know, make the process so much easier? And I hate to say it, but more enjoyable. You know, that's ultimately what we're trying to do. Hundred percent. And to be frank, I think people's expectations have gone up a lot because you know we're constantly getting exposed to more efficient, more you know more customized, more more personalized, easier you know mobile first experiences. And when you find a business that's still running stuff where they're going, oh, can I send you this twelve page document? You need to print it off. You need to do it by hand. You need to sign it. You just go. I'll just find someone else because I just can't even get my head around doing it anymore. Uh, So that's pretty exciting. Look, I've got two questions left for you given um, the time that we've got today. The first one is um, what is, what is life going to look like for you in three years time? Cause you've got, you know, this is a, this has been a pretty significant run of super fast pace, constant, you know, constant scaling, next business, next business, next business. And then you're, you know, you're entering a different sort of stage yep. um, uh, of life and you've obviously, but you've also started a, a new business in three years time. What do you think this is all going to look like for you? A, a combination of all the uh, other 11 businesses um, is what I can say hand on heart, mate. You, you know, the experience, the learn, you know, one of my biggest regrets coming into recruitment was that I never joined a Hayes. I never joined a, a Michael Page or a Robert Walters, arguably the best companies in recruitment and their training that they offer their juniors or their associates is is phenomenal. It's world-class. So for me, it was all about not necessarily not feeling good enough, but always feeling like I had something to prove. And for me personally now, kind of looking back and going, okay, great. If I can just take 10% out of those 11 businesses, um, and whether that's experience, skill set, whether that's industry specialization, how to recruit or whatever, then we're going to have a very successful business with Color Group. And um, the the feedback that I've had um, within basically the industry from my peers, from um, you know, obviously other networks, is uh, it's really exciting. And the opportunity that is in front of us now is to you know, grow one of the most successful. Um, I'm not going to say largest because I'm kind of over that growing a large business mm. and you know, large for the sake of large, yeah. Yeah, revenues obviously, you know, vanity, um, profit, sanity, right? Mm-hmm. So um, I'm all about profitability. I want to reinvest back in. We're looking at um, some training facilities at the moment over here in Perth 
where we're looking at starting a training part of the business, you know, so for apprenticeships, I want to be giving back. Um, you and I obviously met through the YPO, so Young Presidents Organization, again, just getting more involved in that. So for me, it's about having a quality of work life, growing something great, um, and leaving that legacy. Mm. That, that's probably the easiest way for me to say. Fabulous. Last question for you, and this is a segment that Ooh. I ask um, each each founder uh, who's scaled a business. The, the segment's called Above All Else. So I want you to imagine yep. now go out go out much further. Imagine you're now in your in your yearning years. You know you've you've yep. achieved all you wanted. You've started as many businesses. You know you've already done I don't know ten or something. So let's assume that's probably thirty by the time that you, you you're done and you're tired. Uh, but you've achieved all the things that you've wanted, and you get a call from the CEO of the world's largest global community of first-time founders. There's tens of millions of them around the world, and they are hungry. And she gives you a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to share your wisdom with them. And she asks you to complete this sentence, which is, above all else, the three things that you have to get right as a founder if you want to scale are, what would be your three above all else's? The three things you must get right as a founder if you want to scale. Yeah, most important would be passion. And when I say like you, everybody from the owner all the way down has to be passionate about what you do, um, especially when it comes to recruitment. If you don't have that passion, that culture, that drive, then ultimately what's the point in being in business? You're just going to become another agency that's just becoming, going to become a job filler. And the, I guess the other, the other point on that would be, to have fun, like you've got to, you've got to enjoy what it is you do. You know, we spend too much of our time at work for us not to be happy. Why, why not create a working environment where everyone actually enjoys coming to work? Cliche, I know, and it's going to be difficult to kind of manage that. Um, and I guess the, the next, the next thing would be. Um, love what you do. Do you know, again, it just comes back to passion. I think if you were to have interviewed me 17 years ago, mate, I'd still be the same bubbly, jovial, um, you know, enthusiastic, passionate recruiter um, as I am today. I don't think anything's changed. I might have a few more gray hairs and a different kind of style haircut. But um, apart from that, mate, passion, you know, hunger, drive, love what you do is, yeah, ultimately, for me, again, it, you you could ask that question and get so many different answers in regards to it. I think what it always come back to is why are they in business or why did they go into mm. business for themselves in the first place? In the first place. And it's not yeah. only that you're getting, it's not only that that is fulfilling in energy for you, but it's also something that's giving, uh, you know, creating a space where you're being able to give that to other people. It's, it's, yeah. a, it's a springboard. Honestly, it's like the best foundation springboard to attract the similar type of individuals, whether that's entrepreneurs, whether that's employees or whatever the case may be. Um, I think that's what creates that kind of culture and that type of buzz around. Um, I love yeah, it. Thank I you, mate. Myself. Thank you for sharing that wisdom. And I'd really like to acknowledge you. Um, you know, the thing that I love about the way that you've built these businesses is that it feels like each time you've taken, you've really actually spent time thinking about what do I have to take from that experience to make sure I build into the next one. So it's almost like a scaffolding. Each business has become better than the last, better built than the last, with more thought, with more wisdom, with more experience applied, but you still retained yeah. all of that energy to continue to do it and actually probably increase the amount of energy. So rather than getting burned out, um, as many people would have, having gone through this sort of serial entrepreneurship, it seems like it gives you more energy each time because you're getting, it's almost like it's getting okay. easier because you're gathering all that experience and rather than going, okay, that was that experience, let's put it to the side, you're going, that was a great experience. And if I scaffold that on top of everything else I've learned, the next one's actually easier, more, enjoy, more, more enjoyable. And, um, 
hundred percent, because then if you can kind of take any of that experience and you know help any candidates along the way or help your clients along the way, um, it's good business. It's not rocket science. It's good business. Um, they'll keep coming back for years and years. And I think, again, that's testament to, um, to where, where we are today. 100%. Thank you so much, Ephraim. I really appreciate uh, you, you giving us your time today. How can people get in touch or, or follow uh, what you're doing? Yeah, by all means, if obviously people are keen to, to reach out and look, I'm always happy to answer any questions or queries or take time out of my day to, to speak to other like-minded entrepreneurs. And the easiest way is for you to look me up at LinkedIn, so Ephraim Stevenson, um, E-P-H-R-E-M. There's only, Probably not there's only a couple Stevenson. of us on LinkedIn. <laughs> there's only a couple of us on LinkedIn. Uh, but yeah, by all means, LinkedIn is probably the best way for anyone to reach out to me. Beautiful. Thank you. Well, folks, I hope you enjoyed the show today. Huge thanks to, uh, to Ephraim Stevenson. Uh, I really appreciate, again, your, your wisdom and your time, and I think there's been some, uh, some incredible gold in there for our audience. A couple of things before you go, folks. If you got value from today and you, and you loved what uh, Ephraim had to say, we'd really appreciate you leaving a review on Apple Podcasts. Um, it, of course, uh, helps the algorithms um, get, you know, uh, give access to this to other people, um, but it also really gives our team a massive boost. And like Ephraim, we have, we have a, a numerous people working on this uh, in the background so it really uh, really gives them a lot of uh, a lot of joy if you'd like to know when uh, new episodes are going to drop or you'd like to be notified when there's free tools and resources just jump on the website scaleartspodcast.com you can register your email there uh, or you can leave us a question that uh, myself or a future guest will ha- uh, happy happy to answer about uh, scaling up in your own business or if you prefer to use the socials you can find us on all social platforms on at scaleartspodcast but remember before you go there is actually only one thing that can absolutely guarantee that you're not going to be able to scale, and that is to give up. When it gets hard, it's easy to quit. And there's so many times that it's going to happen where you're going to be going, oh, maybe this is the time, but that's exactly the time that you need to stay unshakable in your faith that you're going to succeed, but flexible in your approach to make sure that you get there. You've been listening to the Scale Arts Podcast. I'm Sean Steele. I look forward to speaking with you again next week. Thanks so much, Ephraim. Thanks, Sean. G'day everyone, just a couple of quick things before you go. If you have questions that you'd love myself or an upcoming guest to tackle about challenges that you're facing in scaling your business, please just jump straight on the website, scaleupspodcast.com. You can record your message straight from your mobile by hitting the button on the right-hand side of the page, or you can just email them the old-fashioned way, questions at scaleupspodcast.com. And just a quick reminder, nothing we spoke about today constitutes financial or business advice. If you are considering making big decisions in your business, Seek out a professional who can look at your situation in detail and make sure you're getting sound, personalized advice. Thanks for listening. Look forward to being back in your podcast feed next week.